This is Generation Green's Wildflower Project, the podcast that starts conversations to create connections on this journey we're all doing called life. Together, we can grow through what we go through and bloom in spite of it all. So let's be like wildflowers and see where the wind blows us. You're listening to The Wildflower Project, and this is uh, Sherry Sobey. I'm your host, and today I have the amazing Joseph Ranseth here with me. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for joining me. I'm uh, super excited. (laughs) So uh, Joseph has a list of credentials behind his name here, or a list of titles, I should say. And like, holy smokes, when I'm researching you, I can believe all these things. First off, though, you're a professional speaker. I think that's uh, definitely one that people would recognize. He's also an author of two books, not one. I didn't know that either. A transformationist and uh, a host of Global Influence Summit. Uh, host of the TEDx and the Exchange, and he also owns uh, Vine Multimedia Marketing. And you're an ordained minister? Uh, okay, that one was a surprise. Yeah, in a different lifetime, yes. In a different lifetime. Correct. I want to be an ordained minister. I want to marry people. <laughs> Apparently you can do that on the internet. Yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's what my son easily. was just telling yeah. me. And it's like, I want to marry people. That would be so fun. Yeah. Actually, I want to do that hand fasting thing. I, I don't know anything about that, but oh. I'm sure becoming an ordained minister online is the best $199 you'll spend on the internet. Yeah, I think it's great. Um, so one of the things that obviously, um, I want to talk to you about was about starting movements and I first heard you and I believe the idea, ideas are like floating around. Someone said that and they just kind of have to find a host. Right. And I think the idea was floating around at TEDx and the exchange when I saw you there and listening and being so inspired, obviously by all of these people that were starting movements and, um, how that all starts, you know, you can get this great idea. And then I love the video clip actually where um, the guy was dancing and he looks to try to, you know, beckon people to come and join him. And I think that that's, there's the three parts to it that you, you talk about, right? You get a big idea, a clear message, and then find your army and start building it. And uh, so how, how did that movement stuff all start for you? Yeah, that, that's a great question. It's, it's not like uh, I had a guidance counselor in, in high school sit me down and say, look, you show a lot of promise in helping people start movements. So I think you should go to this university and take this movement starting degree. You know, that, that wasn't really on the table back then. But, um, you know, uh, long story short, I started off in Internet marketing um, way, way back in the day in the, in the late 90s. Um, and uh, it was really fortunate to be in the right place at the right time. And um, you know, learned learned a lot and had a great op- lot, you know many great opportunities there, um, and then uh, but my heart was really pulled, you know, into into service. And as you mentioned, you know, being an ordained minister, um, you know, I did that. But in in this uh, dynamic, I had a dichotomy created in my mind. You know, this kind of mental ping pong match between here's what I do for money. But here's what I do for meaning, right? You know, I, I wanted to, uh, you know, follow my purpose, but then, you know, all this marketing stuff is what I do for profit. And um, at one point, uh, one of my earliest mentors, I was living down in the U.S. at this point, um, was Dr. Stephen Covey, who wrote mm-hmm. Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And he, he gave me some advice that not only changed, you know, my, the course of my career, um, but my entire life. He said, you know, Joseph, if you want to be successful, obviously referring to a much richer version of success than boats and cars and, you know, um, you know, stock portfolios and so forth. If you want to be successful, you need to learn how to integrate the spiritual with the secular. And it instantly just 
landed on me that that was that was uh, the struggle that I was facing, you know, having these two separate worlds. And he planted the seed in my mind that they could somehow be married together. And it took a while for me to really wrap my head around, you know, the the significance of that. But it started me on this uh, this course, uh, you know, prompted by the belief that the two could be married together. Um, I started studying, you know, who I consider to be the master marketers, folks like Gandhi, Dr. Mm-hmm. King, Jesus, you know, um, the, the list goes on and on of, you know, these um, powerful people that understood how people made decisions, which really is kind of the, the key trait of a really good marketer, right, um, is, is their understanding of human behavior, right? And uh, so marketers will use all of this knowledge um, to create the colors, the words, the experiences that people need in order to feel the feelings, in order for them to take the action that they want them to take, right? They engineer right. transactions. Um, you know, it generally, which is around buy my widget, right? Whatever I'm selling, mm-hmm. you know, I want you to feel this experience so you buy what I'm selling. But these master marketers, as I called them, the movement makers, they took that same understanding of how people operate. And instead of engineering transactions, they used it to engineer transformation, a change in the way that people saw themselves, other people, or the world around them. And, you know, kind of like this, uh, this Spider-Man moment of realizing like with great power comes great responsibility. And the people who started movements had the same power of, of you know, master marketers, but instead of using it to just get richer, mm-hmm. um, they used it to enrich people's lives and enrich the world. And I became obsessed um, with this and started studying, um, you know, in particular Gandhi and Dr. King, you know, how they did that in, in others. And then there are some that, that apply and some that are, that are different, which is a whole, you know, um, you know, a rabbit hole we could, we could go down another time. Um, but looking at them and seeing that there was a, a blueprint that they followed, that there were, um, you know, we simplify it to the, the three steps, you know, as you talk about a big idea, clear message and army of advocates. Um, but, uh, it, you know, it's significantly deeper than that, but seeing that there was a predictable framework, uh, that they followed, uh, I, I started, you know, reverse engineering that and, and put that blueprint together. And, uh, and now that that's, that's what I teach, you know, both as a speaker, you know, as an event host, um, and in particular where most of my energy is spent in my, uh, you know, private coaching program, mm-hmm. working with entrepreneurs that are trying to start movements. Right. So this is something you can do as a business uh, owner even, right? It's all about your mindset and what your intention is with your business, wouldn't you say? Um, because I think one of the things you said too was, I mean, it's one thing to love what you do. It's another to do what you love, I believe is something mm-hmm. that you had mentioned. Um, and that I, I, that took, I had to sit with it for a second and think about that. And it makes total sense because I've always said that I love what I'm doing. Um, and then it was like, yeah, okay, but am I doing what I love? And, you know, I think uh, it is because, um, no, actually I know it is, you know, because for me, a lot of things happen for reasons, I believe, or, you know, from those, those really huge moments that happen where you think they're going to be stumbling blocks or they're going to be obstacles that you're never going to overcome really do change the way, I suppose, the the direction of your life that it goes in, which is exactly what happened to me. 
So I know this is what I was meant to be doing and I never feel like I'm working, which is really, I feel like I'm cheating sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. Because I could spend just 12 hours because it's encompassing so many things that I actually love. Mm-hmm. And so I am doing what I love and I'm really fortunate to be able to say that. And uh, I wish that for so many people. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's an interesting thing. You know, one of the, uh, one of the things in this blueprint of looking at the people who started movements, what I realized is that every outer component has an, an inner parallel, right? So we can look at this framework of, you know, uh, a big idea, clear message, army of advocates, you know, there's all the strategy uh, around it. Um, but there, there's something, uh, there's something much deeper to it, something much more profound, because when you look at what Gandhi and Dr. King did, um, they were not the only ones trying to achieve the same outcome. But mm. the question is, why were they successful? Yeah. Um, and it wasn't just the outer strategy. There was something much deeper. And, and they both were deeply, deeply spiritual men. And, and a lot of people don't um, don't know that, uh, you know, Dr. King um, really was a student of Gandhi. You know, he even, you know, he went to India and studied the spiritual principles upon which, you know, Gandhi liberated, you know, India um, from uh, colonial rule. And uh, there were deep, profound spiritual principles. And, um, you know, when you look at a lot of people that are trying to make a change in the world, there's a lot of outer strategies and there's a lot of people that will, will teach you those. But without the, uh, the parallel inner component to those, there's something missing, right? There's a, there's a power, and as you described, a magic uh, that seems to happen when we're in alignment with our true nature. And, mm-hmm. um, and so often we, we create these... Um, you know, uh, dualities in the world, that it's a this or a that, right? It's one or the other, it's uh, left or right, right or wrong, good or bad, black or white. And, um, you know, uh, Lao Tzu said that the words of truth are always in paradox to each other. And when you see this space where paradox now um, is, there's a space held for paradox that two uh, equally valid truths can exist in seeming opposition to each other, now the whole world changes, right? And so, uh, where I'm going with this is to your point, there's a lot of people, you know, um, uh, gurus, you know, in the pop psychology world that will just say, you know, uh, just, you know, follow your bliss, right? You know, find what you love and, and do that. And that's really valuable. As you said, like you've, you've achieved this beautiful um, gift uh, in your life because you're able to do what you love. But the other component is just loving what you do. And that that's not just like an arrangement of circumstance. That's like an, an inner an inner journey of mm-hmm. saying, no matter what I'm doing, I'm going to find the love in it and I'm going to be grateful for it. Um, and when you marry those two together, that's where the real, the real magic happens. Yeah. And I think that, um, one of the other things, cause you had to overcome, uh, some, uh, a really difficult time in your life. And when you, I don't know if I can say that about, mm-hmm. you know, having a brain injury that yeah. happened and changing that thinking about, okay, what, what can I do with this, right? What am I meant to do with this? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that more often, if we were to stop and see that with the challenges or the obstacles that get in our way, it could really be an amazing experience for us and a really transformational time for us too, leading us to perhaps where we were actually meant to go. So can you talk a little bit about that and how yeah. you came to... I mean, the, the, the short version of it is, uh, you know, I was in an accident, yeah. suffered, a, suffered a brain injury. Um, I couldn't work for about a year and a half. Um, and for, uh, for quite a while after that was still significantly, um, you know, challenged and, 
um, you know, at this point I, I have no cognitive deficit, but still dealing with some of the aftermath, um, of that injury. And that was three and a half, three and a half years ago now. Um, but it was, uh, it was a tremendous gift, uh, for me because, um, you know, we simplify this blueprint, you know, to these three steps, right? Um, but the, one of the things that precedes all of that is this, this journey that I like to call arriving through adversity, um, that, uh, you know, true movement makers really earn the right, so to speak, um, to lead their movements because they've gone through this, this journey of, of personal adversity. And um, instead of just like overcoming it, as we often talk about, like they transformed it. Um, you know, Gandhi talked about like transforming um, anger, transforming adversity, uh, transmuting it into something different. And what I learned uh, through this experience of essentially my life being thrown into to chaos because of this injury is that uh, gratitude is only a half measure if it's only for the good things in our life. And uh, we truly arrive at a space of gratitude where we realize that everything is a gift. And sometimes those gifts come in ugly wrapping, mm-hmm. um, but they are gifts nonetheless. And uh, the call for each of us is to, is to find that space of, if this is a gift, what is it? You know, what, what can I learn from this experience? Um, and uh, I saw that going through this experience, um, you know, uh, put me on a path of, uh, you know, personal purification of really looking at, you know, uh, how can I use this to more fully embody, uh, you know, what I am trying to, to see happen, uh, in the world. And it taught me a ton about vulnerability, uh, about truth telling, uh, about asking for help, uh, about collaboration. Um, and, uh, you know, really, uh, provided me an awful lot more empathy um, and compassion for the, uh, for the struggles, uh, you know, that, uh, that we all face, you know, mm-hmm. and as, as mother Teresa said, you know, be, be kind to everyone, you know, because, you know, everyone's fighting, you know, some invisible battle Absolutely. That, that you may not see. And by sharing and being vulnerable, it, I think opens it up for other people perhaps to, um, to start sharing as well. And, and knowing everybody's story is important. You know, this year I also became a speaker for United way and it was the first year that, um, I shared my personal story and I was so focused always on being a survivor. I thought if I was to keep looking back at all, I would be a victim to it. And, But I realized that I just kind of packed it away in this little shame box (laughs) instead. So this year opening, and I do this where I set an intention every year, I want to continue to grow regardless of how old I'm getting. I want to always grow and I always want to expand and, and be a better person. I also want to give back to the world however I can. Um, and so, yeah, being that speaker this year, well, for one thing, I mean, it's, it was so freeing for me. I opened that shame box. I, I'm not ashamed anymore. And when you bring in that community of people, I couldn't have done that by myself, right? Having an audience, I even said to them, we're going to be best friends really fast here because I'm going to share my deepest, darkest with you. And I am so grateful for all these people um, because every time I say it, I heal more and more and more. So the more that we be vulnerable like that in life and share our stories or share our struggles or uh, allow ourselves to see the struggle in other people as well, um, 
because everybody does have a story. And so often we do want to just minimize it or, you know, um, say, oh, you know, mine's not as bad as theirs or, or whatever it might be. Every Nobody's had a perfect life, right? Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, that was one of the basis of this this podcast and starting it was about to get when we when we come together as a community and we realize we're all kind of at different areas in our life journey and all overcoming those obstacles uh, I don't even see them as obstacles either I see them as growing and learning opportunities because they are all there for for reasons that we can then share and hopefully help others progress in their journeys, right? Yeah. So I am. I, I think it's amazing when people can be that vulnerable, and I appreciate it. Well, you know, when you when you see that, you know, as human beings, we all have this this common desire to be seen and heard mm-hmm. and loved and accepted for who we are, uh, and for who we are includes uh, the best parts of us, as well as uh, the worst parts of us, the darkest parts. And and when when we or when anyone shares vulnerably, it's kind of like opening up the space on the dance floor. It's like we're leading in a dance and we're saying, here's the space. And we open that space for someone else to step in, you know, and, and, uh, and anytime that we, we share something vulnerable, we're allowing ourselves to be seen uh, and heard. And, and yes, we're taking a risk. Um, but as you said, there's something really liberating about that. And, mm-hmm. and when we, step forward and do that courageously ourselves, it's a, a tremendous uh, gift for other people to see like, oh, I can do that too. Mm-hmm. Instead of just saying, oh, how are you? Oh, I'm fine. Thanks. How are you? Oh, fine. Great. You know? Yeah. It's like even uh, I was uh, speaking with somebody this morning that is always super, super happy. And you know, it just you notice right away those people though, when they have their the not the energy um, that they usually do, but if they say they they say fine, well they're really transparent here because you know. But how many of us do that too, where we just say, oh we're you know I'm, I'm okay, I'm fine, right? Instead of saying you know what I'm having a really crappy day, I'm having more, and we're allowed to have that, and we're allowed to share that, and it doesn't have to be all roses all the time. And uh, I, I appreciate that so much. I, I it throws you off sometimes when somebody does say you know what I'm not good, yeah. <laughs> right? We, you know, I, I think, you know, we talk about movements and I believe there's this desire in, in everyone to do something, you know, uh, meaningful in the world. And sometimes we get distracted by the allure of, you know, starting a movement and changing the world. But really, uh, if we want to have an impact, um, those are the opportunities you mm-hmm. know, to, to stop and to look someone in the eye and say, how are you? Yeah. Right. And, and to actually wait for an answer. Yeah. You know? We don't listen enough, actually. I don't think I, you know, I, I've learned this having children now that we, um, we, we want to, especially when we're in nurturers, right? Uh, we want to fix. Mm-hmm. We don't always want to just be there and just listen and hear people. And it's something I've been practicing. And it was one of my sons, I have three, and it was one of my sons who came and was going on about a really bad moment at school that he had with a teacher. And I said, you know, I listened to him, but then I was like, oh, maybe you should try this. Maybe you should talk with him and maybe this and that. And he goes, I didn't ask for your advice. Uh-huh. And it was really the moment where it was like, oh, right, you didn't. I just needed to like, vent I needed to hear you and it is so true for everybody right when you get that out when you're allowed to have a good vent sesh with those people that you know support you and are safe to share with it feels so good and wouldn't it be so amazing if we could just do that in life for real and I think that's the whole core of being authentic being our authentic selves but we're so uh, governed by you know what's right and what's wrong and what's proper and what's not 
Something profound happens when we realize that nobody is broken, nobody needs to be fixed, mm-hmm. that people have their own answers, and, and we can shift from you know trying to manage people or trying to fix them or trying to, to solve things to just holding space mm-hmm. and just honoring the, the greatness in, in people and seeing that uh, everyone is on a journey, um, and that journey is uh, intended for one purpose, um, which is to help people to discover and express the fullness of their true nature, which is something incredible and brilliant uh, and divine and worthy of being honored. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I love that. Um, what uh, would you say, though, to those people that are the doubters, are the ones that say, oh, this world is just so bad. There's nothing that can change it. No amount of mm-hmm. wishful, good vibes, any of that stuff. I've run into a few of those people. Uh, what would you say to somebody like that? Well, if they were in front of me, I would probably just look at them with love and give them a hug instead Aww. of saying anything. But, um, you know, it, you know, it's interesting because, um, you know, one of the things that I, I am uh, well known for, I'll, I'll get, you know, um, you know, tens of thousands of visitors to my website a month um, looking for this, uh, this Gandhi quote, you know, because I, I speak about Gandhi and, and movement so much. This, uh, this quote that, you know, most people have probably heard, be the change you mm-hmm. want to see in the world. And, um, you know, I wrote a a blog post about that quote because Gandhi didn't actually say that. Um, And what he said was actually something much more profound. And, um, you know, to to paraphrase it, basically, he said, what we see out there is just a reflection of what's going on in here. Mm -hmm. Um, And if we want to change the world, uh, the way that we do it is by looking within. And so if if people are uh, are doubting. Uh, you know, that good things exist in the world. If, if people are cynical about uh, the opportunity for things to improve or, or get better, um, I, I, I don't see that as a problem with the world. I see that as a reflection of their, their inner state. Um, and that's just a, a sign that, that someone um, is feeling a little bit of uh, perhaps despair um, in their life, you know, feeling uh, a little bit of uh, overwhelm or discouragement with how things are in their life. Um, and uh, the solution for that is not trying to convince them otherwise, um, but rather to uh, create a space uh, where they can not only uh, hear, you know, through the ears and, and with the brain, um, but rather to feel that all is well, mm. you know. And, and I think as you shared, being vulnerable and sharing our our challenges and our, and our adversities um, is such a liberating gift because it helps people to realize um, that their burdens that they're carrying um, are not, uh, do not make them so unique that they are not seen and heard. Um, and I think that that's, um, you know, uh, one of the human drives. We all want to be significant, right? We all want to be our own independent um, being. And sometimes when we find that identity through the, the struggles that we face, whether we voice them to the outside world or not, um, you know, that's a, that's a recipe for, uh, you know, uh, some unhealthy patterns mm-hmm. and, um, being able to normalize the human experience, whether it's the mistakes that we make, the shame that we feel, the, the challenges, uh, that we, uh, experience the trauma, um, you know, that we've endured, um, normalizing all of that and helping people to realize it. Welcome to being human. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. This is the human experience. Good things and bad things are going to happen. Um, and, uh, and to let those adversities refine us instead of define us. Right? Um, and uh, you know, when people feel that all is well within them, they start to see that all is well within the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, again, we hold the space for the paradox uh, 
that nothing is wrong, right? Nothing is broken. And at the same time, as much as things are perfect as they are, there's also the opportunity for things to get better. Um, and to me, that is the most beautiful of the paradoxes, um, is that you're perfect as you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, there's plenty of room for growth. I love that. I love that. Yeah. And, and I think we really have to sit with things like that and, and really let them resonate so that we really believe them, like really authentically believe those things because it's one thing to say them, but it is another just to, to really let it absorb in and start to, uh, have it become something, uh, that is just our way of thinking. You know, it, it's, if I may indulge a, a story. And yeah, I, please. I don't want to take us too too far over time. No. But, um, you know, what you said uh, reminded me. Years ago, I was I was on a cruise. And I was with uh, a member of my, my mastermind team. And uh, it was through the, through the Caribbean. And one of the stops was the Grand Cayman Island. Um, and if you've ever been there. Um, I got married there. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so Seven Mile Beach. This is beautiful beach, and it's really long, as you might, you know, uh, gather from the name. Um, and I was walking down this beach, um, and uh, the person I was walking with, in my mind at least, is a stereotypical uh, Swede, right? She was tall, uh, blonde, bright blue eyes, really bubbly personality. Um, and what was was most fascinating is that she was completely taken with the seashells. Um, she had a little plastic bag and was filling you know, this plastic bag with all the little pieces of coral. Um, and, uh, she stopped as she was filling her bag and she probably had 30 pieces, you know, in, in her bag. And she stopped at one of them and she said, Hmm, here, Joseph, this one's for you. And she handed me a piece of coral that was not only in the texture, but in the shape of a human brain. Oh, wow. And I, and I had to stop because at the beginning of the cruise, I set an intention, you know, as you described for each year that you do, um, I set an intention and that was to think less and to feel more. And here I get this, you know, piece, uh, this little reminder of, of, of this, this human brain. And I thought, Hmm, one of those moments where you kind of look up in the sky and you're like, Oh, looks like life is listening. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and as we continued to walk, she's filling her bag more and more. And then she stops again. She picks up another piece and she looks at it and she goes, hmm, here, Joseph, this is for you. And not knowing anything about this intention that I had set, she handed me a little piece of coral in the shape of a heart. Oh. And I just had this sublime moment, uh, you know, these these two physical reminders that, you know, I put in my pockets and, you know, kept them there for years and years of in any moment, what kind of dis decision making am I am I doing am I using my 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 brain you know or am I using my heart mm-hmm. um, and uh, it was this beautiful experience of helping me to balance you know uh, the mind uh, and the heart right the left brain the right brain you know this this whole um, this war but it wasn't until um, a couple of years ago when I was keynoting um, the annual uh, convention uh, for this uh, US uh, fitness um, organization um, that I realized that the, the, the brain and the heart, right? The head and the heart are not, uh, dichotomous. It's not one here and one there, but they are actually aligned that they're on top of each other. And our greatest power is not, you know, um, in thinking or feeling, but it's finding that alignment between our thoughts 
and our feelings mm-hmm. right? between our mind and our heart and and so as you said it's it's one thing to know it in the head but when we find that alignment between here's what i'm thinking here's what i'm holding in mind and here's what i'm feeling you know and having a visceral experience of it um, we don't have to have the cognitive understanding of the psychological principles or the ontological principles that uh, define our, our wellness um, if we have a visceral experience of them. And that's the beautiful gift um, that, that we can receive in someone's presence. And it's, the, it, it's also the gift that we can give, that when we stop and we look someone in the eye uh, and we tell them that we love them, even if we don't use our words, you know, we just let them know that they're seen and heard mm-hmm. as they are. Um, that that really is uh, the change um, that uh, that we have the biggest opportunity to have is to hold that space for someone in love. You're really good at that, actually. It was one of the first things that I um, noticed about you. You have this intense way of like like really being present and really connecting visually like that because you hold connection really well. And I've um, I've not always been that good at that <laughs> but it was one of the first things i noticed about you was just how you are really in the moment here really connecting really present and you feel like you're actually very genuine unless i've got my smartphone in my hand oh. you know, then i'm all distracted okay see right? i hadn't <laughs> seen that though yeah. okay and i want to i have a, a question for you though what is with the barefoot thing because oh, you were up barefoot on stage cave there's a story here obviously yeah um Okay. Uh, so you like to be barefoot? Yeah. So without making it a twenty-minute uh, address, um, I I've been barefoot for about three years. Okay. And um, there are all sorts of um, reasons why I I could have chosen to go barefoot. But the simple answer is one day I was meditating in the morning, and I had the little inner whisper say, "Why don't you go barefoot today?" Um, and I did, and I had this sublime experience of just feeling connected. Uh, to the world, mm-hmm. um, you know, not only to the earth, but to all the people as I was walking around. It was in uh, San Diego um, when this when this happened. And I just said, I'll try it again. And I did another day and another day and another day. And then one day it rained and I thought, oh, well, I'll put the shoes back on. And, and I wore the shoes and just felt a little bit weird. And I realized that as I got into my office that I was wiping, you know, my shoes off. And I'm like, I could do that barefoot. What, what's the difference? <laughs> and, um, and so I did it. And, and, uh, so yes, there's like a, a, a physical aspect to it. My posture and my gait have improved. I felt a lot more calm, uh, more grounded. Uh, it's a valuable icebreaker. Obviously yeah. people, people yeah. want to talk about it. Um, <laughs> I get far less, uh, you know, flack, uh, going into businesses than people, um, would, would think, you know, yeah. in the first year of doing it only three times did anyone in a restaurant ever say anything about the fact that I was barefoot. Um, I've only been kicked off of one airplane. Uh, <laughs> um, but, uh, but the other thing, it was, it was very interesting because, um, I, I had a, it was a catalyst for a very profound moment. Um, when, um, it, it was within the first year of doing it, I was, I was in a meeting um, which was, um, you know, for, um, um, you know, for this, this leadership 
um, organization that had to do with you know business owners and legislation and and so forth um basically it was a room full of uh old rich white guys okay and and somehow somehow i was i was invited to participate um in this and it was a two-hour meeting and we were talking about a lot of important things and and i was contributing and i could see i was getting dismissed because here's this guy in a jeans and a black t-shirt and no no shirt no shoes um and, and I remember this one point about half an hour in, I said something that must have been particularly, you know, um, relevant or, or, or insightful. And I, I remember specifically the look on this one man's face as he looked over and he's like, oh, this, this guy knows what he's talking about. And all of a sudden I was included in the discussion. And, and it just hit me that this is, this is being barefoot, right? I mean, if, if I would have worn a, you know, a suit and tie and dress shoes, it, I probably would have been included at the table right from the beginning. Um, uh, and so this was entirely within my control, but I, I instantly had this, this uh, understanding and this insight and compassion of, you know, what is it like to be, um, you know, uh, perhaps a woman at the boardroom or to be a person of color at the boardroom or to be, you know, um, uh, transsexual um, or gay in the boardroom, you know, in, in places, you know, that are typically dominated by, um, you know, old rich white guys, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, not to make this a big, big, you know, uh, privilege, you know, discussion or, or whatever, but I had this this experience of, oh, this is how hard some people work to earn their seat at the table. Yeah. And um, I had to prove you know, through my intelligence that I, that I earned a spot and I, and, and it was really neat to see the moment where the guy saw me for what I was. Um, but as you said, like when we stop and we really connect with people, we connect at a level much deeper than what we see on the skin or, you know, in someone's orientation or their background or, or whatever. And I think if we can cultivate more of that, we can have a lot more meaningful, uh, conversations, um, and all be enriched um, in the process without having to do all the facade of let me let me prove how good I am just because I'm I'm different. Yeah, no. And I think so many of us where, you know, like this outer kind of protection, armor, whatever it is, um, uh, even I guess you could call them masks, right? Um, because we deal a lot with imposter syndrome and Uh, I've had to deal with that one myself many times, right? Like, who do I think I am? You know, even starting a podcast, right? Um, And I have to go back to, you know what? No, I just genuinely care about people. I genuinely want to connect and talk to people. I'm not being an imposter. I'm not trying to be anybody else. I'm just trying to be me. And uh, I love that though. Uh, And I think, yeah, once you, and when you do connect, you don't see anything. Um, You don't see disabilities. You don't see color you don't you just connect it's a heart-to-heart connection right Mm -hmm. and so I I knew about being barefoot as far as like you know that connecting to the earth and it's called earthing actually right and a lot of people will do that I found out after I had been doing it for months yeah so So look at that it's just an innocent (laughs) discovery here and and that you could validate right like it works for me because it's even been known like for people that like have anxiety just go outside and walk 
barefoot mm. in the grass and that connect we don't do enough we have so many barriers between us and the energies that the earth is is giving and uh, we're missing out on so much and i think if we were it would probably raise that vibration right raise the vibration within us and around us you know it's so interesting that you bring up imposter syndrome because one of i almost shared this story when you asked about my 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 brain injury um i had this moment and i'll, I'll keep it really brief that um, I was, this was probably five or six months into my accident. So it was in the, you know, very, very challenging time. And, uh, I was speaking at an event in, um, in California in, in Hollywood actually, um, where I was receiving an award, you know, this, this thought leadership, uh, award and the room was full of all these, you know, big important people. And, uh, it, it should have been the highlight of my career as a speaker because I was sharing the stage with, you know, some, some huge names and I got this award and people were coming up to me afterward and be like, wow, you know, that was amazing. You, you must feel, you know, on top of the world and all this stuff. And the reality was, is I felt like garbage because here I was, my ability to speak wasn't hindered by uh, my injury. Um, but behind the scenes, you know, for the last, you know, five months, um, I had been, uh, trying to keep, uh, my team of six employees afloat being the sole breadwinner of my family, um, all the time, not being able to work and hemorrhaging money, um, and just feeling like a total failure. Um, mm. and, uh, and I had this, this conversation with a woman about a week after that, when this was the first phone conversation that I had taken since my accident. And it was a meeting that had been set up months and months beforehand because this person, you know, had, you know, they were, they were a well-known person and had a very busy schedule. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, and we got on the phone and she said, you know, Joseph, I've heard so many great things about you. How are you doing? And, you know, authenticity and vulnerability are a buzzword. So I decided to say, well, really crappy, you know, uh, and here's why. And I just said, you know, received this award, but you know, I just feel like a total failure. I'm completely broke and all this stuff. And I just, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how I'm going to make it. And I just, I feel like a total fraud and, uh, it was crickets just like, no, nothing. And then finally she said, Joseph, uh, thank you for sharing because recently I was actually just nominated for the Nobel peace prize. And since that has happened, you know, the, the close, you know, friends and family that I've told have put me on such a pedestal and I feel like such an imposter that I've actually adopted some self-harming behaviors and I haven't had the, the, the space to tell anyone about it until right now Wow! that you opened up. And, and I had this, another one of these moments because I, I was looking at my phone while this happened and I saw that the, um, the day that this happened was, uh, Gandhi's birthday huh. and my whole life's work revolves around studying, uh, in particular two people that started movements and both won the Nobel peace prize. Oh my gosh. And here on the birthday yeah. of the one, you know, who's kind of the figurehead of this all, um, I am steeped in self pity um, and, um, discouragement for this bad thing that's happening in my life only to find out that that becomes a liberating gift 
to someone who also was nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. And, and it was in that moment that I, you know, obviously I looked up to the sky again. I was like, <laughs> life, are you listening? Yeah. Um, but that was when I realized that gratitude is only a half measure if it's only for the good things in yeah, our life. Yeah. And that as much as I saw that thing, that accident, that adversity being the barrier to me doing my life's work, I just felt like, why is this thing in the way of me doing this noble service that I want to want to do? that I realized that that was the way I was going to achieve what I wanted to do. Um, and uh, just this peaceful moment of surrender, of, of realizing that if this is how I'm going to touch lives, then so be it. I'll go through a million brain injuries. I'll, I'll, I'll be broke the rest of my life. I'll, I'll embrace whatever it is um, that needs to happen in order for me uh, to be that, um, you know, uh, I guess, instrument mm -hmm. um, in, in touching lives. Yeah. And I, I think that's totally the word, the instrument, because um, we don't realize sometimes something that is happening to us or words that we've even said, how they affect somebody else and what, like what you said, opening that space up and allowing somebody, you know, to show their true selves. So that is like so beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. Thank you for, uh, <laughs> for holding the space. You know, I, I, I think you're, you're completely right that we have these magical moments where we realize that we're we're not doing so much as we are just kind of riding riding the wave yes. of something much bigger. Yeah, um, and uh, that magic happens, and and we have no choice but just to be grateful um, totally. for it. Um, is are there any plans to have like a, a TEDx again here, or we we do actually we oh, perfect. Uh, we have one uh, coming up uh, this fall. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Oh, it's so ex is it going to be in the exchange again? Yes, ma'am. Oh, it is. Oh, wonderful. Okay, well, I'll be there for that for sure. And then you also uh, host the uh, Global uh, Influence Summit. And this is a place where thought leaders mm -hmm. and people that want to um, make that change. Is it just for, for like professionals or is this something anybody can go to? So the we're going into our fourth year and the, yeah. the Global Influence Summit has typically been an, an annual gathering uh, for uh, for thought leaders. So authors, yeah. speakers, coaches, purpose-driven entrepreneurs, change makers, um, that, uh, that are trying to, uh, you know, elevate human consciousness in, in one way or another. So, you know, they, they all have, you know, books or, or platforms or, or whatever. Um, and, uh, and the event is designed to help teach people, you know, the, the framework and the blueprint of how do you start a movement? Um, but specifically how do you increase your reach and how do you increase your impact? And those are, two very different things as we've, we've kind of touched on a little bit mm -hmm. here. Um, so, uh, it, it's open. A anyone, anyone can come. Uh, it will be of most interest to people that right. really are, um, are, are trying to, uh, take their hard earned life lessons, um, or perhaps discover what those hard earned life lessons are, um, and use them, uh, as gifts of service uh, to others in a way that obviously they can, they can build a business around it. Um, and to do it in a, not only impactful, but a, but a profitable way. Um, and, uh, and that's in San Diego, mm -hmm. um, which is, you know, my heart is in Winnipeg, but, uh, my body uh, <laughs> <laughs> wishes it my, was my, in San Diego. Yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, I, I think that's uh, absolutely amazing. I can only imagine the um, amount of energy, positive energy, and again, raising that vibration, right? Like that would be just 
insane to be a part it, of. It is a beautiful and brilliant experience. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so, so the work that I do, you know, working with, with thought leaders and, and helping them, you know, uh, implement this blueprint of how to start movements, um, is, is really gratifying work. And the one, the one thing that, uh, I, I, I've, I felt a little bit of loss around is that I don't, you know, my work is, um, my work is not here in Winnipeg. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I work with people and I've been running my business out of San Diego for years. Um, and, um, and I, I've never had a local, uh, client. And, um, and mm. so I felt like this little bit of disconnection from the city that I love, uh, so much. Um, and I, and I should put an asterisk on, I've never had a local client. Uh, um, but, um, and, and that was a big part of why I wanted to do the, the TEDx event here, you know, to be a little bit more integrated into the, to the community, mm-hmm. uh, to feel more connected. Um, but if anyone local here in Winnipeg, you know, wants to come to the event, which is in, in the end of March, um, just reach out to me and, and say, I, I heard about this through Sherry and, <laughs> and I'll give a, I'll give a Winnipeg, Winnipeg discount to anyone who, <laughs> Winnipeg discount. who, wants, I love to, that. who wants to come or see, a generation green discount. Yeah. See, but, uh, you say your work's not here, but you know, you never know who you're touching just by even like sharing this, right? I mean, it's maybe you're working a different way, I suppose. Well, I'm seriously looking forward to uh, TEDx again in the exchange since that's here. And uh, I'm going to totally be it's on my radar now definitely because and I encourage anybody to go to that one that I mean if you if you watch TED talks I mean you know how that moves you and this is something that's right here there are so many amazing people that took that stage so um kudos to you for bringing that and yeah I'm yeah, so excited it, it, it was a lot of fun to to be involved in in the community and you know to use some of the work that I do professionally uh, yeah. to be able to, to bring in some of these uh, these really, really incredible speakers. And it was just, what a beautiful, beautiful thing to witness. Yeah, and like I said, I, I believe that's where the idea was floating around and, you know, took a host in me and uh, where this Wildflower Project came from. And I don't think anybody could walk away and not have that leave with that feeling of, you know, what could I do? What could I do? What am I meant to do? Um, yeah, I believe it's an idea floating place and uh, opportunity. Beautiful. Well, yeah. Kudos to you for grabbing the idea and, uh, you know, expressing it into physical reality here. Yeah. Well, I really hope that, um, you know, people really do uh, understand that about how important it is as a community and we're doing life together. And so we can be a community just for that reason and help each other along with this journey. Yeah. So yeah, we're all in it together. We might as well make it enjoyable. Yeah. We'll end with that. Thanks so much, Joseph. Thank you. Okay. So yeah, until next time, keep growing, keep blooming, and be happy. Mm-hmm.